world's not as simple as it used to be. It's not enough to be a good guy anymore. We have to be the best. The time has come. All will be accounted for. Or we will hunt them. Stand up. It's time to be the heroes we were always meant to be. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy there was no confusion when Steven said on, on because he didn't say on three. So I didn't have to I, I've stopped saying it because when I say on three, you tell me that I, it doesn't mean the thing that it actually does mean. And so I, I actually, just started. I actually want to point out that you have not because uh, I think up, up not last podcast, but the podcast before you still said on three. <laughs> I pay attention, Steven. I pay attention to the things that don't matter. <laughs> Speaking of things that don't matter, welcome to the Superhuman Registration Podcast where we talk about comic books. I am the Watcher, but with more boring stories. (laughs) Actually, (laughs) he's just sitting there on the moon like, ugh, Real Housewives of New Jersey again? Ugh. (laughs) Frank, how many times are you going to try and file your taxes? Just do it. (laughs) Stop starting over on TurboTax. Just commit. Real, real confession. <laughs> real confession time. I do worry that there is some sort of entity like the Watcher, or just like the person in the grocery store next to me who just watches me. Like, oh, that idiot! He's back in the produce again. You forgot green onions. Here he comes, another lap. This guy's the dumbest person ever. I get oddly paranoid that like I'm gonna see the person at the grocery store again when I go back the day after. And, like, they're just going to be like, uh, he also, he forgot stuff, didn't he? This is why he brought a list. <laughs> it's like, I put my list, I put my list on my phone, and my phone wants to see my face, but I'm wearing a mask because I'm not a jerk. And so it's really annoying doing my passcode every couple of times because I'm trying not to touch too many things. <laughs> yes, I'm going to make two trips. Ah! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So we're here to talk about some superhero comics. We being me, I'm Steven, and I've got John and Aldo. Those are the two that you hear bantering over feeling dumb in public. I I don't know why I'm so adamant about cutting off all of this relatable content, right? (laughs) I mean, because it's not really comic book related. I mean, it could be, but Slice of Life isn't a real popular genre in comics, unfortunately. I mean, it is in manga, yeah, well, I meant American Western comics. I feel like a lot of young adults or like children's graphic novels would probably count as slice of life. Like those Babysitters Club adaptations that Raina Telgemeier did. Would Babysitters Club count as slice of life? No, because it was. I mean, sl- no, because it was always about the babysitting. To my knowledge, like it wasn't just like oh, here's what happened to these girls, and they may or may not be babysitting. It was, this is what happened the time they babysat so-and-so. I don't yeah, know. I feel like I feel like that's part of, like, the slice of life is that nothing really happens. There's, like, no objective, like, whatever happens, happens. There's no so gimmick like, to it. Yeah, so I think if you have a purpose, which is to, like, babysit something, I feel like that's that's it, right? Like, that's, that's the book. <laughs> Is Seinfeld slice of life? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, because it's about nothing. Most well, we most sitcoms, it. most sitcoms are slice of life. 
Uh, not how I met your mother, because that has a goal. That's not just about living. That's about how somebody met somebody's mother. That's not a slice of life. It's more about how somebody met somebody's mother, but we have to stretch it out several extra seasons, and it could have been wrapped up in four nicely, but we stretched it to nine, like butter over too much bread. Can you imagine? Can you imagine sitting, sitting on a couch for four years, listening to your dad talk about all the people he slept with and dated before he finally met your mother, <laughs> and how he really wants to get with your aunt? <laughs> yeah, is, exactly. is that not what you're supposed to do with children? Well, oh, Stephen, good thing we're telling you this now. No, listen, I'm not a father. But... <laughs> how about dupe? Is dupe slice of life? Oh my god! I hate oh, that. if it's a slice of crappy crappy life it's a slice of dupe yeah is that the you know segue what? is that, is that the segue? it could be the segue we're here to talk about uh all new dupe and the unstoppable wasp so wherever we want to pick it up from there I let's mean, do it we can start out with dupe let's start with dupe aldo um i okay so uh, i'm gonna be uh real real up front here um as i uh struggle to bring up the research I should have had up. <laughs> um, okay, so like the thing about Dupe, Dupe takes, okay, so this five-issue miniseries, Dupe, takes place during a an event uh, that was happening around the all-new X-Men story, uh, which is like when they had brought in the X-Men from the past into the present to try to teach Scott a lesson, but the, whatever. But then... X, the X-Men from the future came from came to the present to help send the X-Men from the present er, the, the X-Men from the past that are in the present back to the past because it's apocalyptic for them to stay there or something uh, and that's they're not they're fakes they're all faking to be other people uh, that they're not whatever so and this was the event, and I and I read this back when it was coming out because I was collecting like that particular run of X Men at the time. Um, before giving up because X Men is complicated and yeah. you, can't just, you can't just read a series ninety percent of the time because it ties into one of the other many running X Men series. Plus time travel. They don't dumb it down for you. Wolverine doesn't pull out a picture of, like, Colossus and Iceman and the Beast and they slowly are disappearing and he's like, I gotta save Charles Xavier again. Like, it's not dumbed down for you. It's it's backwards and, and up its own hindquarters and it's all crazy with the X-Men time travel. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so... Sorry, it's always I mean, nice I just, hearing the bits that are gonna get cut in real uh, real time. It's like, <laughs> oh man, I hope not. A- anyways, oh. um, I I can't remember what spe- the name of that event was, or I guess that specific story arc. But I, I don't know that really matters. Point it's like is, Battle of the Atom or something like that. No, part of it was maybe like, part of it was that. It involves know. the word Adam. Most likely, there's like an eighty percent chance you're right. Uh so, so Dupe picks up around that time that that's happening. And this is really a story about Dupe, I guess, kind of dealing with some trauma. But also, uh, he's proposing to, to Kitty Pride, 
who's currently the principal of the Xavier School for higher for gifted students in higher learning. Uh, so so Dupe is a being that exists. He used to be on the team Ecstatics, uh, like in the eighties or seventies. It seems like uh, late nineties, early two thousands. Okay, I was close. Uh, but he joined, <laughs> he joined the team as their videographer, so he kind of just documents everything. He's not really like in the action. It seems like so. He's kind of gotten accustomed to that. That's kind of his thing. Is he likes to like document stuff specifically. Uh, he's a little obsessed with with Kitty Pride, so he's been documenting and videotaping her uh, as, as this is going on. Uh, Dupe exists between the margins of stories, so which kind of allows him to show up whenever he's not needed, I guess. But whenever he does show up, that's where he is. It's kind of one of those implied, like, like uh, I don't know, like. How, how do we explain this thing? Oh, it was dupe. Except, not really. There's like another character that actually does that. Uh, dupe just kind of does that for comedy, I guess. So, so dupe proposes... Okay, so so super... Long story short. Uh, dupe proposes to, to Kitty Pride. Uh, she turns him down. He takes her on a date in Marginalia, which is the, the, the place that ex- exists between... She turns him down, so she tries to get her and Bobby Iceman to to break up by proving to them or to her that they're not a good match. He is kind of uh, messing with the with the storyline that's happening on top of proposing to, to Kitty Pride, and he gets threatened by uh, like I think it's Mystique and Wolverine's son from the future. Uh, that he he threatens dupe that he's gonna tell him or reveal some horrible truth about his mother so he has like this mental breakdown that starts to affect the real world outside of uh the marginalia so wolverine gets recruited by one of the maybe dead team members of ecstatics to to kind of talk him down uh wolverine then like assaults his dupe's mother and forces her to tell him the truth. So then Wolverine can then deliver that truth to Dupe. Uh, he kind of puts everything back in its place. Kind of helps Kitty Pride uh, kind of find her place in the X-Men. by Because she kind of wants to run away with him in between the margins. He's like, that's not a good idea. Uh, plus, I'll become a main character if I date you. So, you know, never mind on the whole marriage proposal thing. <laughs> and... <laughs> It's, it's such a weird book. Such <laughs> and, a weird book. Yeah. Uh, and so then Duke kind of, you know, makes peace with whatever terrible news when he knows about his mother now. Uh, Kitty Pride goes on to yell at the X-Men and I think leave the school and everything kind of goes back to the way it was. Just no real impact on anything. Except maybe Kitty Pride. So that sure happened. Yep. <laughs> yep. Oh, and I looked it up. It's 100% called Battle of the Atom. There you go. That's the the first um, new, or uh, all new X-Men, the, the event. Yeah. A- anyway, so uh, I forgot to mention this. Uh, the team for this, the writer is Peter Milligan with pencils by David LaFuente. Uh, colors by Laura Allred. And I don't know if that's any relation to 
Michael Allred. Michael Allred? Well, it, it looks they did the oh. cover art that those two. No. Oh. So I would assume. Yeah, I would hope. Yeah, so. okay. Laura Allred is Mike's wife. Um, Mike's and wife. She does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she does the coloring for a lot of his books. Mike and Laura Allred were. Uh, among the artists on the original Ecstatic series, which I've read a bit of. I don't think I finished it. <laughs> oh, and, and letters by Clayton Ka- Cowles. Whose name we see a lot. We should we should pay more mm-hmm. attention to lettering than we do. Yeah. I'm trying to because you, you try to, and I try to follow the lead. Same. I'm leading by example. I... I... <laughs> You like you notice. I think on some level, subconsciously, you know when it's a much more comfortable read, you know. Um, but it's harder to notice if it's like good than it is if it's bad. If it's bad, you definitely notice. But if it's good, I think you're too caught up in what's going on to you know. It's like a really good soundtrack to a movie. You know, you you may notice it if it's a really strong theme or whatever. But then, if it's doing its job, it's just conveying tone without drawing attention away from the story. Yeah. Yeah. That is 100% true. Um, so, what did we think of Dupe? This is such a... <sighs> I didn't know... I didn't know what to expect. Because I knew... I've kind of seen slash heard of Dupe in passing. Like in other books and stuff like that. Like he just kind of shows up. Everybody seems to know him. Uh, so, like, I, I wasn't sure what was going to happen in this book, and I still don't know that I'm sure of what happened in this book. The art was nice. The art was really good. Um, there were, because there were actually two art teams that worked on this book. Yes. And, uh, in particular, um, I really like the style of, um... I think it's La Fuente. Oh, um... David... Are you talking about the one that's a, like, a little bit more kind of like scratchy-ish? Yes. Yes, I know what you're talking about. Very, very scratchy, very jagged. I think that was uh, La Fuente. Wait, wait was that not Fuente. Federico the, the Santagari? I think it was both of them in the fifth issue. The th- yeah, the fifth, the, fifth, the fifth issue, excuse me, was both of them. Federico Santagari and David La Fuente. Yeah, no, I, th- I think I think specifically uh, Stephen and I are probably talking about the art that's led a little bit more by Federico Santagari. I, just, I, I kind of had to look up uh, their art kind of like alone, and I think that's closer to I th- what I think Stephen might be referencing. Yeah, it's David LaFuente, sorry. Oh, never mind, okay. It is David LaFuente who I like. Which, one, um, which um, issues are you talking about? He does issue one. Okay. Like, and here's the thing. I think he is instructed to mimic the style of the original Ecstatics comic a little bit, which was very heavy on the inks, very heavy on, like, dark eyes, like, very dark shapes around the eyes, um, especially on the female characters, um, which, again... Original Ecstatics was a Mike Allred jam. And also, I believe Darwin Cook did some of the original Ecstatics. So very distinctive style. Didn't really look like much else. 
And I thought that uh, David LaFuente did a really good job of sort of imitating that style. I like the stylization of his characters. Um, they're very, they're very, again, kind of geometric. They've got, uh, very sharp shapes, very solid shapes to them. Again, kind of reminds me of, um, some of the, the art style that you see in the Hellboy books when you have someone other than Mike Mignola doing the art, uh, mm. specifically, uh, Duncan Figueredo and, uh, Guy Davis. I feel like there's, there's some similarities there. Regardless, I think it's good. I, I really do quite like it. Um, weirdly, I don't think Dupe meshes very well with this style, which I guess kind of makes sense because Dupe is, I don't know, right? Just does not fit in with the team. He, he's meant to be a weird character. He's meant to be an outlier. So I feel like that sort of visual disconnect that I'm perceiving works to help set Dupe apart from these other characters that he's interacting with. It's it's kind of like when you put the Looney Tunes next to human people. Like live-action yes. human people. Like, you kind of get that effect. Or, like, even though they might be drawn with, like, realistic matching lighting and shadows so they look like they're occupying the space, there's still Looney Tunes next to Brendan Fraser in a crappy movie. See, I skipped that one altogether because it. I just, yeah... <laughs> I figured yep. the ghost of Mel Blanc would haunt me for committing such a sin, um, mm -hmm. especially after I watched Space Jam. <laughs> so Come like, on and jam. <laughs> <laughs> I I liked the art at the beginning of the series more. Um, I did not like the scratchier style. I do think, I guess it's a choice I just don't agree with. Everything feels, there's no depth. Everything is very busy and right up in your face. And maybe that's the point, because it does feel like it's done on purpose, because a lot of the, the poses are really good. Um, the, um, you know, f the paneling is interesting. And, you know, the idea of Dupe being, like, this side character who's popping in and out of the story in different parts and kind of doing his own thing. I could see how that would be interesting. I just do not give two craps about this little ecto cooler dude. I do not care. Like, I just, I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't get a connection to dupe at the beginning, and because of that, I didn't, I didn't have any stakes in this. I didn't buy into it. I was much more interested in. Oh my gosh, I remember this part. It's a future Molly Hayes, and she's a beast. That's what I was more interested in going through this storyline from the X-Men again was, oh, I want to get back to the, the main story because, you know, this green dude who, like, wants to be with Jean, with uh, Kitty Pride, but then wants to, like, reconcile with his mom. Like, what's going on with his mom? Like, you know, I just, I, I don't know. It was not Also, I'm really, I'm really happy you also kind of uh, almost mixed up Kitty Pride with Jean Grey because... I was struggling really hard to not do that during the synopsis. <laughs> that was more. <laughs> Don't know why. That was more of a you know. Usually when you talk about X Men, uh, Jean Grey pops up more than Kitty Pride does, which is probably wrong because Kitty Pride's great. But I mean, yep, she's got that smoky eye thing going, but it's not enough to save this book. I I really like the art style kind of throughout the book um, as it switches between the two artists. Um, that's just my thought. That's my opinion. As uh, as far as like the the appeal of the character, uh, Ecstatics is kind of a cult hit with a really bizarre team of characters. Like you had, uh, you go girl. 
You Go Girl. The character's name is You Go Girl. She's a teleporter, I believe. Um, you had <laughs> subtle, uh, nice. Oh, oh, also, okay. <laughs> so I didn't talk. So I, I kind of wanted to breeze a little bit in through the synopsis. Uh, so I didn't mention the fact that like You Go Girl and uh, what was his name? The guy with the lightning bolt uh, on, 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 in the hair. Anarchist is his <laughs> character name, or his, yeah. his like. They they use his his uh, civilian name his his like I, I don't remember what it was though. Yeah, me neither. Uh, Tyke. But Tyke, Tyke, yeah, Tyke and Hugo Girl are just kind of hanging out in marginalia, like in a hot tub. But it doesn't seem to be like romantic. Like it's just platonically two friends in in a hot tub talking to each other. Uh, they keep getting interrupted. <laughs> And, it's just, and I think one of my favorite things is when, when Kitty Pride decides she's going to phase into the marginalia on her own without dupe to, like, find him. And she does that. She accidentally phases through into the hot tub. And you go, girl, is like, are you are you touching my feet? And he's like, <laughs> no, that goes against hot tub rules. <laughs> <laughs> Which I kind of love and respect that. But yeah, like, so Tyke and Yugo Girl are from the original team of the Ecstatics. So is Dupe. That's where Dupe came from. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- again, these characters are really weird. Tyke's superpower is he has, ac- he has like, acid sweat. Uh, you had uh, Dead Girl, whose superpower is she is dead. She's like a zombie. <laughs> um, there was a character... Uh, and I did not get this far in the series, but it was reading about this that kind of made me want to read Ecstatics. There's a character whose name is Henrietta Hunter. She was a pop star who, uh, like, died and then got reanimated, like, mysteriously. She came back to life uh, with superpowers and nobody knows how. In the original draft of the script, she was supposed to be Diana, Princess of Wales, hmm. who had recently died in a car accident. Oh, no. Incredibly tasteless, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. But like, it's just weird, and that's what Ecstatics was about. It was really leaning into the weird side of the mutant universe, and so Dupe is spinning out from that. This is a series for people who are fans of Ecstatics. I don't think this is going to make anybody into a fan of Dupe. It could have if there was a better hook. I just don't feel like I really got him like he's just kind of wandering wandering around like if he maybe if maybe if it was like that he was going for the same thing the whole time but him going after kitty pride at a time where she's like between colossus and Iceman, it was just like i already have icing on my cupcake what are you putting more icing on top of my cupcake for and it's green flavored and it's stupid looking like yeah and I think that's actually kind of a problem with a lot of superhero comics in general. Uh, This gets into the sort of thing that I feel like Jerry Conway has talked a lot about. Comics tend to get made for people who are already fans of the comic. Mm. And you're not making comics with stories that appeal to new readers. Uh, I, I feel like both Marvel and DC are doing a much better job of this now. Which, to your point... Real quick aside is I think we'll talk a little bit more about that when we talk about the next book. Oh, yeah, certainly. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, like, I I feel like if I were more of a fan of Dupe, this might do more for me. But then again, I know about Dupe. Would you say say it might do more for you? 
You got the scoop on dupe? <laughs> oh gosh, I feel like we're just like a couple syllables away from a Scatman Crothers solo. <laughs> it's sizzling and smoking inside of Aldo's head right now. He's going to do it. Here it comes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like, I think part of what makes this book so alienating, and maybe this is just me, but it gets into some touchy subject matter with, like, Dupe's abandonment issues and the abuse. Like, we see Mama Dupe abusing Dupe. And it's like, I don't want this. Oh, and then how it bleeds into, like, his sexuality and how he uses sex to cope with his loneliness. Which is a little bit more uncomfortable when you realize he's, a, like, a, like, a three-foot-tall jelly bean. He's a three-foot-tall jelly bean who reproduces asexually. Yeah, so there was no need to begin with. <laughs> and, and we keep saying he. Dupe is agender. Everybody refers to Dupe as he, right? Yeah, and, and the marketing material does as well, so I don't think we're, like, misgendering this pickle, but... <laughs> oh my gosh. But anyway, it's like... Look at the covers to Dupe. Like, the issue cover... By the way, these covers are good. Yeah. I really like the covers. Yeah, absolutely. I, I want the story that's promised by these covers, I feel like. And I don't... Feel like we get. I'm. I'm looking in particular. I think number five is my favorite of the covers, with, with the, all the mouths the dupe opening its mouth, and there's the other yeah. dupe inside who's opening his mouth. I like. I like the second inside. one. Yeah, I was just gonna say faster shadow cat kill kill. Yeah. Oh, that. Yeah, that's a good title. Um, but yeah, it's like you want the weird anarchic adventures of this creepy teleporting alien blob, and it's the the personal stuff. I feel like. It's, it's not bad in concept, but I feel like it gets too dark and it makes me kind of like pull back because it's not dark in a way that is authentic. Like I, I'm thinking out loud here, so hopefully this actually makes sense. But when a character goes through like personal tragedy or something like that, it can feel really uncomfortable, but part of what makes that compelling to read is the way that you personally connect with the characters. The problem here is that Dupe's darkness, the, the abuse he suffered at the hands of Mama Dupe, and like the, the way that he's coping with this all, this is all to set up a joke, and that makes it less relatable, and that makes it feel grosser. Maybe not in a way that's like, this is immoral, you should not have created this story, but more in a way that this is not for me. I'm not interested in jokes at this, like, on this subject matter. It also seems like the what they depict and, like, actually, like, how, I don't want to, I don't know what the word is, accurately they depict it, it feels, and I, and I hate this because I'm going to, be uh, one of those liberal snowflakes on a podcast. It feels re- it feels really triggering. I I, I don't know because I don't have any of those traumas. But I, I feel like if you did have that stuff, this would probably trigger some of it. Just kind of seeing like uh, that stuff being depicted. Uh, so like I I don't know. I, I kind of agree with you because part of my problem too is I guess I don't know that it would excuse it. But it's like if the joke was better. Because I don't... What was the punchline even? 
if the joke was better or the character was not a floating cucumber. Because I could, I could not tell you what the what the punchline was. I feel like the punchline is Doop is uh, like an auto-replicating creature, and none of this trauma actually matters, which is not much of a joke, if you ask me. Yeah, ex- exactly. Like, there's a joke there, it's just not funny. At least not to me. Again, I don't want to be just the wet blanket and tell people what comedy <laughs> is, but this didn't appeal to me. I, I would have to agree with you. Probably not, because I don't... I, I don't think that the joke landed flat. I just don't think that for me the joke landed. I feel like mm. I feel like I thought the the I don't know. I guess it just didn't feel like it was properly set up. And as far as the actual joke goes, I don't feel like at least for me, I don't think that joke was actually delivered. I cuz I I really I was going to bring up that I was like I there was a joke at the ending here and I don't think I picked up on it. And yeah. And like I'm thinking about Tucker Carlson, <laughs> right now. Oh no! Oh why? Is it because I is it because I said liberal snowflake? <laughs> no, it's not. It's it's because he had that whole rant about like calling child protective services on the parents of children who are wearing masks outside. He says they're committing child abuse. You should call child protective services. And then Legal Eagle did a whole video talking about whether that's breaking the law or not. And Legal Eagle addressed in the video, it's like, look, I know people are going to say that he's joking, but that got me thinking about like how jokes work because a lot of people like to talk about how jokes are just nonsensical and you, you know, if it's just funny, you either get it or you don't. And if somebody says something that's weird or creepy or offensive or whatever, they use, oh, I'm just joking as a defense. I hate that. Yeah. Those people are jerks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those and people not, are jerks. They're not joking. They're garbage. And the thing is, jokes work, and there is thought and structure and intent and purpose behind them. Like, I remember, oh, I wish I could find this, but there was a Twitter thread that I ran across uh, a couple of years ago that breaks down the comedy of the more cowbell sketch. Oh, yes. Nothing like, uh, you know, having a joke explained to you to make it funnier. But it worked, Ah. though, is the thing. Because the more cowbell sketch, it's not just funny because Christopher Walken is saying cowbell over and over again. (laughs) It's funny because there are actually character arcs going on within the sketch. It's funny because you have conflict over something ridiculous that gets resolved and everybody gets closer together. And it is also funny because Jimmy Fallon cannot keep oh, a straight face. he's the face. worst. He breaks all the time. He's <laughs> the worst. It is a little charming sometimes. I'm not going to lie. Um, Mainly when disagree. he's not carrying the scene. <laughs> I would disagree, but I was, I mean, I'm also the opinion that, uh, with the exception of Jay Leno, Jimmy Fallon is probably the worst late night host on air. James Corden? <sighs> he has carpool karaoke. Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, um, the point being, I feel like the structure of this joke leads to something that is maybe not purposely mean-spirited, but it, it's not leading to something positive. It's not leading to anything that I feel like merits being joked about. Uh, so this, the, the whole thing falls flat for me for that reason. Yeah. Anyway, we've beaten, we've beaten that to death. Uh, what else do we want to say about Dupe? 
man, I feel uh, I don't know. This, this, I, I just think I just think the story was just kind of. I I would hope that if you're a Duke fan and you read this book, you got something out of it because I I didn't and and I, like you mentioned. I don't think this was a book to make people into dupe fans. I think this was a book for dupe fans, which I am not. And I didn't really get much out of it. Apart from Tyke and You Go Girl having hot tub code. <laughs> I, I mean, those characters showing up, that was my favorite part, I believe. Yeah. I, I like the fact that Tyke can travel between the, the marginalia. But he's just not very good at it. At least not as good as Dupe. So every time Wolverine complains, he's just like, hey man, I'm trying my best. It's just, I don't know. I thought that was a little kind of charming. Oh, and I just slipped through the the first issue and you get to the very end when Dupe has been doing Dupe speak and Kitty can't understand him. So Dupe like completely reforms his mouth so that he can speak English. You mean rips himself apart? Yeah. Like it was weird, but... I honestly, I feel like that was the kind of weird that this book needed more of. It wasn't so weird. It, it became cool. It was just the edge of like weird and uncomfortable. And honestly, honestly, weird and uncomfortable is I think what they should have gone for, but in a way that's like surreal imagery mm-hmm. and uh, just bizarre meta explorations, not child abuse and body horror well okay maybe a little body horror <laughs> well yeah and especially if you're kind of uh paying homage to that mike allred art which i think yeah that's something he does very well is kind of that trippy imagery i feel like i don't know that, that would have been a good opportunity to, to try that you do a new spin on it okay also hold on isn't iceman gay uh he he hadn't he hadn't figured it out at that point. and that is the later on in this in this series but at this point no or at least, at least not out. That would probably be more accurate, right? No, because, I mean, yes, because I guess technically at this time, he's kind of like trying to suppress it because he doesn't want to be gay and a mutant. But it's not until like a like a confrontation or like a situation later in which young Jean Grey kind of blurts it out and accidentally and outs him in front of the, the rest of the team. Because doesn't Young Iceman, like, Young Iceman comes out and then, like, Old Iceman is like, yeah, okay. Like, kind of. Right. Yeah, yeah, kind he of, tells him that you know, he just. Begrudgingly, kind of, like. That he just kind of yeah. suppressed it as well. And that's part of, like, which I don't I don't know how well that plays. I don't know. I hope, I, I hope that people who know about the gay lifestyle know this better than I do. Uh, but he mentioned something about how, like, it's because he suppressed that or repressed it. I don't know which is the right word. That. Is might be the root cause of why all of his relationships with women have been terrible, which I don't I don't know how accurate that is, but yeah, um, I all I know is personally uh, finding out that Iceman was gay made me more interested in the character because I've always thought he was kind of boring. Because <laughs> uh, we have like elemental themed womanizers already in the Marvel universe, and I don't tend to love them. I'm looking at Human Torch specifically. And we tend to just have a bunch of womanizers without elemental-based personalities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As we'll find out in the next but book. The, but the thought of, or the idea of, like, older Iceman, like, coming to this realization and going back and explaining things, it's one of the cleverer retcons, I feel like, I've ever come across. 
Yeah. Because it, it's 100% a retcon. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I feel like it works and it adds to old stories rather than taking away from them. But none of that really matters because apparently that wasn't established in this story. No, yeah. That doesn't, <laughs> doesn't matter to this conversation, yes. It does not. Uh, which at some point, I, 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 would, I want to read more of the all-new X-Men story. Because uh, that, I, I mean, I read that when it was coming out and I enjoyed quite a bit of it. I think I dropped off right before they did The Trial of Jean Grey. I think that comes right after this. I think so. Yeah, because it's like yeah. the Cree, and they and they try to put Jean Grey on trial. It's a little bit after this, I think, because prior to that, she has to date Star Lord because they're part. Well, she doesn't have to, but <laughs> it's, that's how they tie in the Guardians of the Galaxy into all this thing. And yeah, whatever. That's not. And I think uh, Cyclops, Cyclops, young Cyclops joins the Star Jammers. He's like, I have a dad in space, and all I hear about these X Men is all this drama and all this. Not, I'm going to space with my dad. See you guys. Like, <laughs> for some reason, I feel like that all happened very early on. I, I guess I need to read more of this because I have no idea. Anyway, segues are anyway, your job. Segways are my job. <laughs> Anything else we want to say about Dupe? Eh, like, I, I'm not opposed to the character. I remember enjoying him being around, I think, in, like, I think it's Wolverine and the X-Men, when he's kind of just at the school doing odd jobs, and it's kind of funny. Um, but this was this was too much. This was, he, he's a marginal character for a reason, and th- this kind of felt like it was all over the place, and I just, I couldn't connect to him. As, as much as I, I appreciate the idea of, you know, a side character... You know, poking around behind the scenes that in this way, you know, it could have been could have been cool, but it just this didn't work for me. Yeah, and uh, I kind of mentioned it a little bit at the beginning of the synopsis. There is another X Men character who uh, who pretty much does what Dupe does, right? Like he exists, quote unquote, between the margins. I forgot his name, but he but he exists. Uh, what is it? If when you stop paying attention to him, you forget he's there. You forget his existence, and so like he's part of the like his whole thing is that um, he's been an X Men pretty much since the beginning. But and it's because of him that a lot of X Men have a lot of X Men events have turned out the way they did because of him. So he's kind of like a Deus Ex thing, but it's just this whole thing where like nobody knows he exists except for Professor X who has set himself like on a psychic timer to remember him <laughs> and and talk to him like once an hour or something like that so that he doesn't forget him or something like that. It's it's kind of weird. But I think as far as like a character between the margins type thing, I think that's probably a better story and I've read that one. And I think it was a single issue which I want to read at some point uh, for the podcast, but that's kind of what I was hoping Dupe would be, I guess. When they when they started explaining the the marginalia stuff in issue one, and that's not what I got. <laughs> yeah, that's that's actually more what I was expecting too, I believe. And I feel like part of the reason that this doesn't work is because rather than having this sort of like broad view, dupe relies on you having pretty solid understanding of two very different X Men events. One yep. being the original Ecstatics and one being the Battle of the Atom. And if you don't understand one or the other, you might be missing stuff. And if you don't understand either, 
you're going to be completely lost. Yep. Yep. That's and that that was I think something that took away from Dupe because I was like, there's a big this is this is a big you know X Men moment going on, and he's like you know screwing around and expecting us to care what he's doing when yeah I you know I. Oh, that character I was referring to was the uh, Forget Me Not. Hmm. Oh, huh. I actually don't know that I knew about that character. Well, uh, should we should we move on to Unstoppable Wasp? Yes, please. Yes, please. Okay, Unstoppable Wasp 2017 series. Unstoppable Wasp was written by Jeremy Whitley with art by Elsa Chartier. I... I was I told myself I was going to look up how to pronounce that and I goofed. I didn't do it. <laughs> Colors by Megan Wilson, letters by Joe Carmagna. You also had art from uh Rose Stein and Ted Brandt. And I think there might have been some others in there. Anyway, so this wasp is different than the character that you might be familiar with from the movie. Uh her name is Nadia. She is the daughter of Hank Pym and his first wife. Now, I don't know much about this. Uh, I don't know if this was something that was established prior to the introduction of Nadia. But, um, yeah, for as far as I can tell, it's a retcon to create this character. Nadia was raised in the Red Room, the same program that created the Black Widow. But instead of being a, a, or like instead of being raised to be an assassin, Nadia was raised in a division called the Science Class, where her, because of her incredible intellect, she was going to do great work for the Red Room to create weapons or super soldiers or whatever else. Nadia didn't really want to do that, so. She escaped, and this story picks up after she makes it to America. She's palling around with Ms. Marvel. She is trying to become a citizen of the United States, runs into a couple of barriers, but she can't stay focused on getting her citizenship taken care of because she finds out about the list. I don't remember if we actually covered the list when we read Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. I think we talked a little bit about it. Uh, I think specifically- We talked a little bit about it. But I, I, like, I don't remember if we covered the, the issues where we find out that Moon Girl is actually on the list. Oh, yeah, no, I don't no, think we did. did. Like, it sounded familiar, but I don't know if we've talked about it. But, I, but I there's think, a list out there. Yeah, I think we mostly talked about it in the sense that she knocked Amadeus Cho off the or down in the list. Something like yeah. that. Ah, take that, Cho. I, hey, guess, I, like Amadeus I guess he's Cho. not the chosen one. <laughs> okay. So, um... Anyway, Nadia finds out about the list, and she finds out that the list is mostly a bunch of white men. And she concludes that... Does she say white? I don't remember if she says white. She definitely says men. Uh, yeah, I just want to make sure that... I mean, you know, you're probably not wrong, Yeah, that's but... fair. <laughs> Regardless, the, the point is, Nadia concludes that the reason that the list is the way that it is is not because men are inherently smarter, but it's because... They have access to more resources, or they're given access to more resources. So she makes it her goal to create a venue to help uh, provide resources for brilliant young women. And so she creates Genius in Action Research Labs, calls it GIRL. 
It's a, it's, it's a terrible acronym. Mm-hmm. Mostly because you have a but whole word that's not accounted for. Oh gosh! And it's they, yeah. They usually will drop a they usually drop a preposition when they make acronyms, but in this case, it's crucial because they wanted to spell girl. Uh, it makes me so mad. As a lover of good acronyms, I, it makes me so mad. Regardless, so the wasp goes around and she finds all of these young women in the greater New York area, um, brings them together to create this lab. But while she's doing this, she is being stalked by this other figure from her past, the uh, a, a colleague of hers from the Red Room, whose name is... Wasn't it like Ying? Ying. Ying. Yeah, sorry, her name is Ying. Um, so Ying tries to bring Nadia in. Nadia isn't going to do it, and Ying doesn't want to do it, but Ying has to because Ying has a bomb implanted in the back of her skull. So Nadia gets the team of girl together to try to figure out how to get the bomb out of her friend's skull. Meanwhile, Mother, the leader of the science class, calls Nadia and says, I will blow up your friend now unless you turn yourself in. Nadia turns herself into Mother, but there's tricks like trickery going on. Nadia is able to defeat mother. The girls are able to get the bomb out of Ying's head. Ying has to go in for emergency surgery. Uh, the lab's blown up. All of these other girls' parents withdraw them from this program because they don't want their kids to be in danger. So when Nadia is at her lowest point, Janet Van Dyne, the original wasp, steps in Helps Nadia kind of get things back in order. Ying comes out of surgery. Everything's okay. Uh, and they set up Girl with all of the the members that Nadia originally recruited. Janet calls all of their parents to talk them into letting them rejoin. They get Mockingbird to come aboard and, and kind of be a supervising scientist. And it sets up a bright new future for, for the, the Girls of Genius in Action Research Lab. And that's the broad strokes. There's a lot that actually goes on. We can talk about some of the, the minutiae. Um, I wanted to talk about this specifically because I recently discovered Elsa Chartier has a YouTube channel where she gives really good advice on comics construction and craft. And I was looking for a lot of that craft on display in this story and honestly, I kind of got sucked up by the writing and got distracted from the art. So I don't really have a lot of examples, um, but I'll use this as an opportunity to plug uh, Chartier's YouTube channel. It's very good. What do you guys, what did you guys think about Wasp? It's not for me. Uh, okay. So, okay. So, so I want to say that it's not for me. I actually found the writing or not the writing. I found that reading it was a bit of a slog. I wasn't necessarily invested nor interested and i think a lot of what turns me off from it was kind of like how how much of it is aimed towards a younger audience now i want to really emphasize that this doesn't mean i think the book is bad nor am i gonna say it's bad i actually have a lot of positive things to say about it it's just i'm very much not the target demographic for this book and that's okay and this is the exact thing this book is the exact thing i want to see more of which is less books for me and books meant for like younger 
people to kind of get them a little bit more interested and specifically like a like a more and i keep saying non-traditional superhero but really what i'm trying to say is uh no more just like middle-aged white dudes because <laughs> i like i love spider-man but there's like how many how many you know middle-aged geniuses are there in the marvel universe gonna many yeah exactly uh so so like this is the exact type of book i want to see on the shelves i'm not gonna read it i'm not gonna pick it up but this is the exact thing i want and i and i really loved that in the single issues they had interviews with women in stem and and i thought that was like really novel and like really interesting because it's kind of like bridging this gap between fantasy and reality right where we've seen like yes this girl who does science and she's also a superhero with, you know, shrinking and growing technology. But then we have these very real women who can talk about what it actually is like to be in those fields and like that industry and all that stuff. And like I said, uh, not for me, but if I had a daughter, I, I would buy this book absolutely without skipping a beat or a child. It, it doesn't matter. Just if I had a child, I wanted to get into STEM. That would be it. <laughs> I started out like Aldo, where I realized what was going on, and I'm like, eh. And the more I read it, the more I liked it. Um, I got really annoyed when Ms. Marvel and uh, Wasp were like, Oh, I have a fanfic about babies fighting Thanos. I read it. It was really good. You think so? It started out for lulls, and then I hit these feels about the baby's parents. And, and then Mockingbird says, okay, whatever this just turned into, it needs to stop. I have giant robot problems. And I was like, thank you, Mockingbird, because it was getting stupid up in here. And then the more I read it, the more I was like, I, I kind of like this. I kind of like what this is doing. And the art is spectacular. Um, and just, like, you know, great coloring, just, you know, a really well-made comic. I will say that Nadia, like, it was kind of confusing because she's completely naive about some things, but then she's also a genius and knows all about other things. And so I think they could have nailed down the character a little bit better. Um, you know, it's all about girl empowerment, but then there's then there's an old white guy, Jarvis, around to, to help her do stuff. And maybe it was just like a comic pairing because he's real straight-laced and like trying to, you know, get to the immigration office. And she's like, no, science, I have to do it now and find friends. Ah, um, So maybe I'm just reading too much into that where it's like, you know, she doesn't need no man to do her stuff. Um, I, I, you know, in spite of the things that bugged me, uh, I still liked it, so I, I think I'm right in between you guys, and this is one where I want to send it to um, my nieces who just became ter- teenagers, and then like wait until you know my daughter gets a little bit older and you know can can see how good it is because right now she'd be like, cool, she flies, yay! <laughs> you know, I think she would. I was like, no, it's about it's about girls and how they can do any. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> she doesn't, she hasn't hit that point when she's like. What do you mean girls can't do everything? Because she's still... She hasn't had that moment where... Like, I'm I'm not looking forward to the day when... Wait, what do you mean? People used to... People used to put girls down? People... Like, she hasn't, you know... She only vaguely knows what a suffragette is because of Mary Poppins. But that's not really, like, you know, <laughs> the rough part of the, of the suffrage movement, is it? So... Uh, I also want to point out that this book has probably one of my favorite lines in a comic book in a long, long time. Uh, 
which is when he picked when which is when they're recruiting uh Tyna and her sister I, I forgot their name the, the 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 other um the sister's name but but they, they walk into the I'm looking at the page and it's like hey abuela we got a couple of guests one of Tyna's friends and her <laughs> manservant he's like I'd prefer chaperone miss yo white people got a lot of names for dude who follows you around <laughs> I died. I, I I heard that in my head. I was I, like, oh. Yeah. I ascended to another plane of existence. That's how much it killed me. I love that line. <laughs> it's pretty good. I feel like um, a good actress playing Nadia could kind of elevate the material and then give, give a better frame of reference, but... You know, reading it on the page and seeing it would... It was... I don't know. It was tricky. I... I you know, you root for because she's doing a good thing, and obviously she's the main character and everything like that. But I had trouble, n- you know, nailing down what she was all about. Like, like how it's like, how can you be this cheerful after the red room? And also, like, how can like well, you that. be so na- naive about some things and not about other things? Yeah, I know. Like she, <laughs> I know, she like, I know she like, I know. But like, but yeah. Oh, also, um, super quick aside. I- I, I don't know what part you weren't sure was a was a um, retcon, Steve. Then, uh, but I did do some research, and Maria Pym was like a character long, long before this. Oh, interesting. She, okay, she's been around since the '60s. Interesting. And they bring in Millie the model too, so it's a it's a, it's yep. a yep. So callbacks all around. Yeah. So so her, but but the whole thing with Nadia that is definitely like a recent thing. But Maria right. has been established for a while. So. Yeah, I think, John, I think your sense that uh, you're in between me and Aldo is pretty spot on. Because, like, this isn't my favorite book. This isn't going to be, like, I'm not going to push for this to be at the very, very top of the list. This is exactly what I want from superhero fiction. Yes. Um, Specifically, the stuff that I like is, I like superheroes who try to do more than just beat up the bad guys. Right? Hey, and let's not, not let's not you... crap on Batman, okay? Here's the thing. <laughs> He'll though. find out. Here's the thing. <laughs> My favorite thing about Batman is that when like in the best Batman stories, Batman isn't just beating up criminals. Like he has right. charitable contributions through Wayne Enterprises. Uh Grant Morrison made it a point of showing that Batman would like bust a prostitution ring and then give out Bruce Wayne's, like, or Wayne Enterprise's HR office to the the women who were being trafficked so that they could get jobs. Like, Wayne Enterprises was hiring people. Um, in Batman the Animated Series, Bruce Wayne, like, you, it makes it a point of showing Bruce Wayne shutting down the unethical business practices that go on with major corporations. It's not much, but for the 90s, it was very progressive. In that mustard so, suit he always wore. Mm. In that mustard suit he always wore. <laughs> oh Making a statement. No, I do like when he's when he's more detective than, you know, breaking bones in the street. Yeah. But it is like, it's something that I think I've gotten more sensitive about the more, uh, like the older I get, the more I turn into an old hippie. And um, (laughs) superheroes are kind of a fascist fantasy. They love being right by being stronger than other people. And that's not as compelling to me as it used to be. 
I I kind of can't wait till Stephen has like that the, the the ball top, but like the ponytail. <laughs> <laughs> Granola just falling oh out of gosh. his pockets. <laughs> yes. I'm gonna start working on that now. That sounds great. Yeah. Oh my um, gosh. <laughs> yeah. No. I and I agree. And I think uh, you know, kind of going offline. Uh, well, I guess not really because we're talking. You know, bring up a thing. You mentioned something about Falcon, which is that Falcon in Falcon and the Winter Soldier or in the MCU would be a more fascinating character if he actually won a fight. And instead mm. of being able to like, like, and the, I guess, dichotomy between being able to win fights and, but choosing to talk things out would be more effective. And I think that's kind of exactly what we got here is we have a girl who is very capable of taking out people, you know, two, three times her weight class. But she actively chooses to try to talk and better the situation before before she has to to actually fight. And and I love the fact that it it really does feel genuine, especially when she's talking to the wrestler lady pound cakes pound cakes, which is simultaneously the worst uh, but best wrestling name. Yeah, and and you know she tries to talk to her. She's trying to defuse the situation, but it, it doesn't feel like. It's entirely a utilitarian conversation, right? Like, it feels genuine from her that she actually wants to know more about her and kind of what led her to that point in, in her life. Yeah. But if it, but if she can diffuse the situation at the same time, well, then that's better. Yeah. Nadia's got the ability to shrink, and she's got the martial arts skills from having been raised Kraft in the Maga. Red Room. <laughs> yep, she knows Kraft Maga. Uh, her her real superpower though is her charm and her genuine interest in other people. Well, her, yeah, her being like that excited about getting a group of you know smart girls together, you know that that is charming and that is something that I think hooked hooked me in. I was like, oh, this this could be this could be a really cool team up here, and it's you know people from all over. It's really good, and it ultimately works. On, on Pound Cakes and Letha. Like, she... Th- th- I don't know that they're reformed, per se, but supervillains getting a second chance at because the superhero is willing to extend a hand and say, you know what? You've had a raw deal. Let's try to get you some better opportunities. Um, like, that really appeals to me. I, I love seeing supervillains kind of turn over a new leaf. Because here's the thing... That's what you have to do at a certain point. Otherwise, they just get more and more evil, more and more cartoony. And that's fine. Like, I want Doctor Doom to be more and more evil. I kind of want the Joker to be more and more evil. Hmm. Uh, But not everybody needs to be that all the time. Maybe Clayface can be a superhero for a while, which he was, and it was great. He's he's also a lovable goon in the Harley Quinn cartoons to show. (laughs) He's a thespian. Yes, he it's is. A, it's a, it's a good, yeah. It's a good thing we have Calendar Man so that Joker can go do his murder. Oh gosh! <laughs> Just balance it out. <laughs> anyway, so Jeremy Whitley, the the writer, um, I don't know much about him. I know him best as the writer for a comic series called Princeless. And he also wrote a whole bunch of My Little Pony comics for IDW. There it is. 
I'm pretty sure I've read those. I've read a lot of the My Little Pony comics. They're surprisingly good. This show is really funny. I will take both your words on it. (laughs) (laughs) No, really, there's one where, like, they go to a... They do do a pub quiz. Sure, John. And uh, (laughs) one of the ponies, I forget which one, is getting really upset that no one's following the rules. No, I think Applejack is at the thing, but is not the one who's insisting on everyone being, you know, strict to the rules. Uh, is it Cheerios or Lucky Charms? I think you're just lying at this point. <laughs> I'm just trying to be a good dad. Understand. John, I'm not going to put on the John, costume. you're not trying. You are a good dad. <laughs> I thought you were going to be... No, no I wasn't going to dig on no. you. In my hit, hit, that's nice. <laughs> I sorry. <laughs> I like to think you're a good dad based oh. on the conversations we have every two weeks on a podcast. <laughs> well, if that's all we get into it. <laughs> no, I... Uh, Sorry, I just in my head now old old hippie Stevens outfit in, includes not only like small colored lenses of with glasses, but he's in a full on brony outfit, head to toe. Like it's just, but just, but it's real good. It's like accurate and really made with care. I like to imagine that he has uh he's just wearing like his regular jeans, but like he has what do they call the pony mark on like one of the one of the back pockets? <laughs> The cutie mark. Oh, see? (laughs) Got him. (laughs) Hey, old man. I like that cloud and rainbow you got in your back pocket. That's my cutie mark. Actually, that's my pony stamp. That's my cutie mark. What, is that like a gang thing? No, far from it. (laughs) Okay. Favorite thing. Issue 6, page 18. Okay. So every time I watch, I've been watching all of the the MCU movies with my wife. It's very slow going. We've been doing it for months now, and we just got through uh, Civil War. So while watching the Marvel Cinematic Universe, every time the Black Widow gets in a fight, I will sit there and I'll be like, come on, do the thing. Do the thing. (laughs) And then she does the thing. The thing being, she jumps up on a like a guy's head, wraps her legs around, and does like a weird little scissor kip flip thing and throws him to the ground. On page 18, Wasp does the thing. She does do that. Also, okay. Uh, While John, speaking Russian. Yeah, I was going to ask. Uh, I assume it is, but how is the, is the Russian actor? Well, yeah, I mean, she's Hungarian, but... If she was in the red room, at, you know, apparently at that time, even though, I mean, if she's the age she is, it would have been Russia and not the Soviet Union. But you know, whatever. She was in the red room, so she learned Russian instead of Hungarian. But maybe this is Hungarian's hard. <laughs> like Russian is hard, but Hungarian is like its own animal, and it has like more complicated grammar. And I don't know how many words are the same. I think it's like. Completely different. Anyway, Zdrastvui, comrade. Comrade is English. It's not Russian. It is a... Tavarish is what you would say. Like, you know, what uh, friggin' Colossus says all the time. And then, yeah, Dasvidanya. Just, hello, comrade. Goodbye. You know, really. And But then she says, adieu. <laughs> and then she says, adieu on the next page, so... You know, she's multilingual. Well, yeah. I mean, most people are outside of our country. She he said to Aldo, who speaks two languages... Oh, you know what I mean. We all speak two languages. It's the other oh, jerks, yeah, not do. us. We're a, we're a yeah. podcast. Yeah. 
That's... Admittedly, I am bad with my other language anymore. No what? opportunities to speak Czech. No opportunities to speak Czech, and it's hard. <laughs> I guess the problem is you don't uh, check in often enough. Oh, gosh. <sighs> Anything else tra- we want to say about this book? I think we might be done. He's Slovakian. He's <laughs> he's slacking, Slovakian. I can't, I'll look into it, I can't. Don't, don't worry, John. I think you're rushing too hard through that joke. <laughs> Dang it! Man! Aldo, you are like butter, my friend. Well, don't say that, because now I'm a little hungry for butter. No, because you're on a roll. <laughs> I just... <laughs> I just want to see if we can give Steven a nervous breakdown. I don't need a nervous breakdown. I'm having a baby. <laughs> so this is our 77th episode. Yes. That's wild. It'll be our... Coincidentally, number 77 on our list is Cage. Cage. The Jendi Tartakovsky book. I'm not sure what makes that a coincidence. That just seemed like a good uh, point of comparison, right? Sure. Hmm. Wait, did we read that? Oh, that was the initial... Okay, I was looking at the rank. Its initial rank was 76. And I was like, we didn't read that last time, but I am a dope. <laughs> so, we have 145 comics on our list. Cage is the halfway point. That's interesting. That was huh. pure coincidence. Huh. Where do we want to rank dupe? In the lower half. Yeah, like lower half. Yeah. Not the bottom, but not... Pretty close. Not high. Though. Like in the neighborhood, but not in the neighborhood. Yeah. Like you have to take a bus and walk a little bit if you're in that neighborhood. Gosh. Uh, Definitely below like GLX was special. Yeah. Maximum Carnage, like the story, like as bad as it was, there was at least like it made some sense. You know, frankly, I'm looking around Brute Force and I don't know if if I'm being mean at that point. Brute Force was was garbage. Like, it was a hot mess. So probably a like that was thing? that was last time, right? Yeah, that was last time. That we was last that. time. Blah, blah, blah. Oh. This was better than Brute Force. I think this is better than Brute Force. I think it's. I'm gravitating to extremists, honestly. No, cause see, it's better. It's not as good as Civil War. I don't care what Steven says. Dupe is worse than Civil War. <laughs> oh. I would put it, I don't know, I think I would put it after Ghost Rider above Brute Force if we're going this low. Uh, okay, so let me ask, okay, let me ask you a quick question. What's worse, Dupe or Steve Rojas? Rojas. I'm sorry, who's, oh, Steve, oh. (laughs) No, that's 1602. Yeah. Right? Yep, yep. Also, oh, it automatically goes. It automatically. Go, oh, you know what? I'm sorry. You're right because it also goes above Galacta, daughter of Galactus, which was yes, icky. It does. Sure, I will disagree with that, but okay. <laughs> so, I think 124 because I would put Deadpool above this. I am perfectly a okay with that. Sure, Steven? I got no complaints. Hey, that's a lot lower than I thought it would be, but it also work? was not great. That's about so. right. <laughs> Yeah, when you really look at it, you're like, oh yeah, this is... Mm, yeah, mm. So, yeah. Um, in between Guess Who's Bumming at Dinner, the Deadpool Thanksgiving special, and Galacta, Daughter of Galactus, goes all new Dupe. Rhymes with poop. Now, let's talk the Unstoppable Wasp. If we could rate the fact that there's a comic that exists like this 
and uh, I really like Aldo pointing out the you know featuring STEM uh, people in the STEM field at the end of the comic. Besides just you know creating a a good character um, and getting that message out, you know girls can do anything and and look at this and we're righting a wrong and we're doing great things and it's not all about punching and um, it's also you know well drawn and well written and da 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 great. Um, but yeah, there I mean it does have its problems and stuff. But, like, what it's doing, I think, is probably going to be... We'd want to rate it higher than what it actually is, Mm -hmm. so... Also, I I guess I have a question continuity-wise. Does does Janet Van Dyne not... She doesn't know Matt Murdock is Daredevil? Apparently not. He's. I think he's unmasked himself or announced himself a couple of times. Maybe she just wasn't paying attention. Maybe she was dead. She... (laughs) It's that's entirely possible. I like that Nadia calls him uh, Mr. Modoc. <laughs> By the way, yeah, I broke my trailer good. rule for that, and I am so excited for the Modoc show. <laughs> oh, for the Modoc show, it's, yeah, yeah, it's gonna be just the right kind of funny that's for Pat me. Oswald. I'm really I was, excited. I was sold when I saw Pat Oswalt on that roster. Yeah, yeah, I was like, oh, thank goodness. Um, if you guys haven't watched, I mean, he, he does a lot of voice work, but if you haven't watched Gravity Falls, um. The whole series is incredible, and just one of my favorite episodes. It's like a standalone episode that doesn't really fit into like the, the overall lore. Is where um, Pat Oswalt voices a uh, a Lilliputian or Lilliputian, and they they <laughs> point that out. They're like, you know what makes more sense written? I uh, I, I think <laughs> if I ever try to sell anybody on Pat Oswalt, I, I will typically refer to them to the uh, to the filibuster bit. Oh my yep. gosh, that's yep. so good. Yeah, that's so good. Whereas if I'm trying to to, to uh, refer someone to Elsa Charretier, I'd turn them to the Unstoppable Wasp. Yeah, which I think Man. goes above squirrel power. <laughs> really? Yeah, huh. if, yes, definitely. What a twist! Goes above squirrel. <laughs> Listen, if I could put squirrel power lower in this book, I, in this list, I would. <laughs> <laughs> you don't like Ryan North, do you? I do not. He doesn't. He doesn't. I found Squirrel Power perfectly delightful, but I understand where you're coming from, and um, you want it below Escape to Terror, the Silver Surfer. Uh, see, this is where I start struggling because I feel like I feel like that's a fine spot, like above that and below Escape to Terror, but like maybe it could be a little higher, but I I don't know. I, I think no, I'm just asking. I think it's okay because I was looking around this region. Yeah. as well i guess part of my so. confusion is like or like personal indecisiveness is kind of that thing you were saying we're like how much of it is the book and how much of it is this is the book we wish we had and is there really a difference between that yeah that's true you know well i'll tell you the gap between what it its cultural importance and the the product we got like captain marvel was a mediocre film but the fact that we got a Captain Marvel movie was absolutely fantastic, and I'm I'm ready for more. It was just it was just more like, do we really need to hear no doubt in the middle of this fight scene? <laughs> this feels very forced, and uh, it's just there are better ways of doing the thing that you're trying to do. And Brie Larson can definitely act better than you know this this dialogue that you gave her. And yeah, it was yeah. I just yeah. like the idea of Nirvana Nirvana being featured in a Marvel movie because I think Kurt Cobain would have absolutely hated that. <laughs> hey. <laughs> anyway, Foo Fighters was in the first Thor, so that's, you know, something. 
Um, so yeah, so anyway, I'm cool with 36, but I, 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 part of me wants it a little higher, but also I don't know if like, I don't know, like I, I don't know. It's weird because like this, I, I recognize that this is not a book for me, and I personally did not get a lot of enjoyment out of it. But this is exactly the type of book I want to see more of on the shelves. I, I, I liked it, so I put it at 36. Okay. Let's do it. Okay. All right. Let's Sweet. not fight. Let's just... <laughs> I think for me, though, like, part of my thing with this book, and it's it's been ever since, like, uh, I think it was Gary Conway that really was talking about comics, and he was talking about how, like, comics should be meant for kids like it should be meant to bring them in and continuity shouldn't be like the most important aspect of a book and uh and how like that's kind of how why he feels comics are failing so the idea like there's this like this is that book this is the book that gary kind of i'm I'm assuming kind of wants even though it is not bogged down but it is definitely part of continuity I think you can. It fits into a long, long history of Marvel Comics without being too chained by it. You know, yeah. like you like if you know a lot about Hank Pym, like there's a lot of you know mm-hmm. history there. But also, it's this new character doing her own thing, and and they've made it easy for you by giving her the same powers as an existing character yeah. and pieces of Black Widow's backstory. But you know. She's doing her own thing, so... Yeah, and and, and I don't know. It, it is nice to see, like, this sort of book, you know. Not not that it they don't come out. I'm probably just blind to it because I don't actively seek these books out. But it is nice to see these books, which is kind of like a nice contrast because I just picked up uh, Spider-Man's Spider-Shadow, which is like a what-if series on, like, if Peter Parker never got rid of the symbiote suit. Oh. So, so the idea that, like... It's like, cool, here's my dark, edgy adult book for me. Um, and I'm kind of happy that, that that is able to coexist with like this kind of bright, optimistic... Sunshine, book. lollipops, and rainbows. Janet Dine, yeah. Janet which Van actually, Dine. Dang it. <laughs> which I actually do kind of... I, I know we're not really talking about the book anymore because we ranked it already. <laughs> uh, but actually, two things I appreciate. I appreciate that they kind of really do d- deal with like the possibility of death, right? Because... After they, they save Ying's life, it's there's like a, that very real moment where we're like, oh no, we're not out of the fire yet. Where she passes out, they take her to the hospital. But I also really kind of appreciated that moment where Nadia overhears the gossip about Hank Pym having hit Janet Van Dyne. And she brings up that she, you know, she's like, I'm disillusioned. I, he was supposed to be this person I looked up to, like this pillar of scientific awesomeness and my father. And now she doesn't like know what to think now that she knows that he was imperfect. And I love that really kind of frank and honest conversation that Janet has with Nadia about, you know, not everybody's perfect, uh, but really what's important is, you know, taking in consideration both the good and the bad and kind of deciding what's more important to you, I guess. Frankly, very important lesson given today's culture, right? Yes. Yeah. Like, despite what a lot of people will say, cancel culture is a thing, just tends not to manifest in the places where people are loudest about it. Mm -hmm. But it is a thing. And I feel like learning to accept the good with the bad 
is important while acknowledging, frankly, that there are sometimes that the bad is is too much. Yep. Like, and it's a complicated topic, definitely one that we don't want to get into right now because we got to talk about the books that we're reading for next time. Yeah. Right on. Oh, gosh. And I'm looking at our selections and wondering why we did this. So, <laughs> given a, a rather, as we are recording, we're, we're actually stockpiling a couple of episodes because one of us is about to be unavailable for a little bit. Sorry, guys. <laughs> a trailer just dropped for Venom. Part two, this time it's Carnage, or whatever it's called. I, I like that title. <laughs> uh, I like, I wish, I wish the official movie title was Venom Part Two. I guess this time it's Carnage. <laughs> <laughs> so that got us looking for Carnage comics in the, in, in Marvel's back catalog. And there was a Carnage event pretty recently. We're going to read Absolute Carnage from 2019. I also want to point out that the main event comic for this is only about five issues long. It is only five issues long, yes. As is, I believe, the uh, second book that we're reading, uh, Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. Five-issue miniseries from 2015. Yes. I, I do believe that it is based on the, the Disney attraction. <laughs> Unless there's another Big Thunder Mountain Railroad out there. And there's a lot of Big Thunders and there's a lot of Mountain Railroads. I don't know how many of those intersect on the Venn diagram. <laughs> Big Thunder Mountain Railroad is almost certainly somebody's euphemism for a fart. <laughs> ¶¶